You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. That are living in Ukraine, they're not playing around. So I want to give you a little introduction film from Pastor Alex to you. They use uh, Carrie and I's name, but they also use you as a church. We refer to IDPs, internally displaced people. You hear the name Exchange, which is one of our uh, small circle tools, disciple making tools. But uh, Alex has sent uh, a personalized message to you. Now, Alex goes, to the front line as a pastor. He travels to the front line, fully, you know, puts the vest on, bulletproof vest, helmets and everything. This is a real deal. And uh, we've seen pictures of him in uh, foxholes with our small circle books, discipling, and they have just unbelievably uh, spread uh, disciple making. So uh, I know for some of you that this is new, there may not be that emotional connectivity, but I hope by the time that we finish today that it will be because there is a word today for each of us that I believe that God is going to give from his word to us. So I'm going to uh, introduce um, Anya in just a minute, but I want you to have a personalized welcome for just a couple of minutes from Pastor Alex from the Morning Star Church. Understand those are all the volunteers that are helping. Those are just volunteers that you saw in their aid point. So Anya is here in the United States for about uh, 30 days or so, and uh, she's near the end of that time. And so I would uh, ask you to give her a warm welcome to uh, Good morning. Yeah, we are very grateful that we could share this with you because you're like part of our family, church family, through all the oceans, through all these miles and distance that connects us, I guess, maybe four years ago. So um, 
first of all, I want to share my testimony because it's like, um, it's like a representative of story of hundreds of thousands Ukrainians. And you will know a little about a little bit about us, what we are experiencing now there. So for centuries, Russian propaganda and influence tried to destroy our culture. And uh, I remember very well the day when the war started in 2014. I was a second year university student. I had many dreams and desperation like a young lady and the whole world was at my feet. That day I went with my friend after the exam and an enemy plane flew into the territory of the city. I was a couple of blocks away from the first rocket fired at the city. So there are several pictures that I imprinted in my mind and this is one of them. The crowd is panic runs to any shelter and in this confusion I look for where my friend has gone. When I saw her, she was hurriedly talking to someone on the phone and she was not looking for me in that crowd. For me, 18 years old, it was a kind of betrayal. I'm still learning a lot about how people behave differently during the war. But at that moment, it was very painful. This is how the war began in 2014. I left the university city early in the morning. About a couple of weeks later, I was sitting in my parents' house, and through the window, I saw a colonnade of tanks going down the street where I used to ride my bicycle. Then Dad said he would take Mom, my two brothers, and me on a forced vacation to the sea. We lived in the same house with my grandmother, my father's mother. This is the second painting that I often think of. She sits on a bench under a lilac tree. We wave at her from the car windows. And we say goodbye for a couple of weeks, expecting that all we see is some misunderstanding and everything will just finish very quickly. We packed some summer clothes and swimwear. Instead of two weeks, we spent 41 days on the sea coast. I know because I rode every day. My dad didn't live with us. He couldn't leave his town, so he stood up for the company where he worked. When more than a month passed, he came to us broken, shocked after everything he saw there. He opened a map of Ukraine in front of us, poked his finger at random, and he said, Oh, Vinitsa, I always wanted to visit there. So we went on a trip to the city that became our second home. Our last goodbye to my granny really became the last. We also took the girlfriend to one of my younger brothers with us because she didn't have a father and she and her family lived in the basement all this time, eating canned food and washing their clothes in the river because there was no electricity. We took her with us on our journey to our new home. In the trunk, we only have a pair of summer shirts a swimsuit, and nothing that was important to me. My teenage posters, journals, family pictures. Everything remained in the occupied city. So dad brought us, but he couldn't stay with us because he wanted to protect our home. We still believe that soon it would all be over and we would be back. One of my brothers was 16. He was about to graduate from high school with his girlfriend, whom we took. Then he said for the first time that he no longer believed in God. And the younger brother was seven. After we left home, he almost stopped talking for a year. He was a very intelligent child, but unfortunately the trauma was too strong. Due to the fact that it was the first war in Ukraine, no one knew how to deal with the refugees, so he was expected to be bullied a lot. My mother had bleeding for eight months. Therefore, I had to work to pay for the rent for apartment and food. I worked 12 hours for 19 days in a row. It was for nine months. I locked all my experience and pain in a box somewhere very deep in my heart. I had no time for suffering. My parents were believers, but I was far from God. I relied only on myself, and one day I was accused of stealing at work, and I quit. I went to bed with exhaustion of the whole body for two weeks, and then the depression started. My middle brother had already started going to youth clubs organized by the youth from the church, and he invited me, and I don't even know why I quit. 
But after meeting with those people, I realized that it wasn't just my home, my childhood memories, and the opportunity to graduate from university that were stolen from me. My inner light was stolen from me. I started coming to church. Already at the second meeting of that youth club, I was offered to become the leader of such clubs. And it was risky, but because of it, I stayed in the church. I met Jesus Christ. My heart was completely healed. My whole family has changed. It was an incredibly long process. I began to travel a lot, serve, graduated from university to become a journalist. But February 2022 come. Now we know how to respond to war, but it covered the whole country. And hardest, Russia is a terrorist country. They launch rockets and drones at civilian cities right in the most crowded places where civilians gathers like hospitals, schools, entertainment places. No, no one will steal my house. I recognize the concept of home as a place where your people are you and you are safe. But I'm angry that my young ages and my time are being stolen from me. I thank God, and it sounds terrible that I don't have children now, because I wouldn't want their childhood to be broken. Ukrainians are an amazing nation. We learned not just to survive during the war, but we continue to live. And our life is about how much we want to win and how much we want to help each other. During these eight years of war in Ukraine, my brother married a girl we took with us in 2014. My younger brother went to college in Poland. My mother is completely healed and is now serving God in thousands of projects. And even my friend, with whom we broke up badly in 2014, became a displaced person for the second time in 2022. That is why she came to Vinica, we helped her at our aid station, and she prayed with me. God restores and heals everything. The only question is where each of us was when these people needed us so much. I want to be where pain feels everything and bring the power of God there. And Psalm said, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. We will follow Jesus not till the victory of Ukraine, but till the end. And we all together are building kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you so much. Anya has prepared for us uh, a film that uh, will show you what um, a resilient people does who, has a, who have a different mindset. Uh, today, we're going to, as we speak and, and uh, as we hear from the Word of God, we're going to, we must, as believers, even living in a very comfortable country, we must raise our heads, our thinking, our hearts to higher places. So look what they have done and allowed Christ to do through them in this, uh, in this short video. Take a look. Our team has been serving in Vinitsa and other cities for 17 years. Our association has seven churches. We care for all generations in our cities and for people in need. Elderly people, orphans and children, single mothers, evicted people, homeless people, all find shelter in the arms of the church. Since the beginning of the war, we have done everything possible to bring the victory of Ukraine closer. Women and children were evacuated abroad. Evacuees from the east of Ukraine, where the land was burning from rockets, were fed at the train station. We provided shelter in our premises and centers, opened a point of assistance for war victims, and an art therapy center for children who are displayed persons. We are bringing in tons of humanitarian aid from abroad to prevent a humanitarian crisis in war-torn areas. Now we take care of the Mykolaiv region, the territories close to the occupied Kherson. There we support the military and civilians every week. 
мати достатньо їжі, зовсім нема світла, води нема, ми возимо туди і, і воду, мінератори, тому що ми маємо туди привезти ці люди, які зараз якось виживають. In Vinita, we are known as care guardians. We are the only one whose humanitarian point has been working since the beginning of the war to this day. During this time, we helped a lot of IDPs. Our art therapist workshop of goodness was visited to by thousands of children. The entire team is volunteers who strive for victory, but now most of them are people who moved during the war, having lost their homes and safety. going to go uh, deep and quick today. Um, and I would say that um, brace yourself for the power of the Word of God and the reality of God. In these moments, if we're just quite honest, not only as we see the atrocities happening, but when you just pull back and get at an aerial view of humanity, there are atrocities across the world, even as we speak right now. There's human trafficking, there's slavery in, in, in the histories of many countries, including ours. There's, there's uh, systems, world systems that are uh, hard to understand of how uh, evil can be unleashed at, at, at uh, uh, levels that we see. Uh, we see um, unfairness and corruption and uh, across the world. And so... As human beings, I don't know about you, but there are times that the weight of it seems too much. You just want to run and, and just get away. You want to do a retreat almost from these things in humanity. And then we ask ourselves at, at times, and, we, and these are dangerous questions to ask, but where is God? And if you're living in the midst of, of these things, and if you've ever worked in, in these things, we've been talking about silence. And this is why I love the, the, the Bible, because the Bible is honest and it doesn't hide and Photoshop the blemishes of, of the human uh, experience. And therefore, we can look in the Bible as a mirror. If the Bible were only perfect people or at least people that were Photoshopped as being perfect, we know no one in, even in history is perfect. But if we looked at King David and we never saw Bathsheba, we, we would like, oh, man, the guy was perfect. How do we ever do that? 
If we ever saw, if we looked at Peter and, and never saw the, the, the many times he stuck his foot in his mouth, we'd like, well, you know, what's up with me, right? But there are times that we look in the scripture that are honest. For example, in Psalm 83, the psalmist writes, Oh God, do not keep silent. Do not be quiet. Oh God, do not be still. See how your enemies are astir, how your foes rear their heads. And, that, and so here's an honest prayer that we find in the Bible of, of, about silence. And we're going to see today how the silence of our experience with God is going to be reversed in time. I propose to you today that as a believer in Christ, as a follower of Christ, we have the advantage of, of seeing the future. And so we live the present with the mind of the future. Let me repeat that. As followers of Christ, the way that you see what's happening in, in Ukraine and other places of the world where believers are pushing through the most difficult and atrocious systems of the world, the reason that they can do that is that they can live in the present because they know what the future holds. There is, it's called hope. And without hope, humanity dies. Without hope for you, you die, even though you may be living in a very comfortable setting Without hope, you, we have to live. Hope is an essential ingredient as human beings. But there are these moments where we question the silence of God, but the future tells us that the silence is going to be reversed. If we don't see that, then this can turn into bitterness. When we, when we ask, where is God? How come God is not acting? How come God doesn't step in right now and deal with certain things that that he could easily deal with. And God says, my timeline is not your timeline. In Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Who, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And every person in this room and every person sitting at home, if you are honest, have had these moments. That's why the Bible is important. When you have these moments in your own families, in your own relationships, in your own workplace, in your own atrocities, in, the, in your own systems, whether they be political systems here in the U.S. or around the world, when you look at those and like, God, where are you? You're not alone. And those questions are allowable because we have a God of empathy. We have a God of compassion and we have a God who's worked, walked in our dirt in the, in the body of Jesus Christ and understood the difficult things that we walk through. So it's okay to ask God at times, God, where are you? Why are you silent? And God will answer in a very clear way. Watch this. Psalm 50, verse 21. God says, these things you have done. He sees what's th these atrocities. And he says, I have kept silent. I have been silent. But... See, you thought I was altogether like you because silence in our case, like Anya shared with her friend, silence sometimes means separation. Silence means indifference. Silence means that I'm, I've just checked out, but it never means that in God's eyes. So when we look at God and say, well, he's being silent, so he's separate. He's indifferent. He doesn't like us anymore. He's, you know, when you, when you're going through a difficult time, you're going through a transition and you say, where is God? God's silence does not mean that he's unaware. God's silence doesn't mean that he's checked out. God's silence doesn't mean that he's left the, the universe. He's very in tune. It's all about God's timing. So in the short time that we have left today, I'm going to call on your God-given imagination. Because when we think about the future, there's, there's something that God gave to human beings that he didn't give to any of the other living creatures on earth. And that's the, the ability to think ahead. So, for example, if you said, hey, I'm going to eat lunch today and I'm going to go to wherever you go to, Five Guys or uh, get the kale burger. I get the kale burger at Five Guys. I don't know if you knew that existed. but And you can actually visualize what that that is going to be like. That is a unique gift that God gave to human beings. Therefore, when we look in the book of Revelation, he gives us out of compassion the ability to see what's going to happen in the future that really is only 
It, it calls on the imagination that God has given to us uniquely as human beings. So when we open the book of Revelation, we're just going to do a quick, quick scope uh, and give a background for those of you that, that don't know the book. When we open the book, the Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, is transported to the future. The book of Revelation is not a book of vision. It is not a, it is not a book of prediction. It is a book of being transported, of a human being being transported literally into the future because John repeatedly says, and I saw. It wasn't so this is going to happen. Things are going to happen. But there is no way that they're not going to happen. There is many different uh, wills of God. There's the dismissive will of God, the permissible will of God. There's the sovereign will of God. And in the book of Revelation, it's the sovereign will of God, meaning it is God's will and it will happen. There is nothing that's going to stop it. We open the book of Revelation. We see John encounter Christ in, in all of his fullness. He falls to the ground and, and then he, he, he worships and his mind is blown of what he's about to see. In the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, we then have seven letters to different churches. I believe those letters represent different times of history. There's not enough time to dig deep enough into that. When we get to chapter four, there is an incredible uh, uh, worship service going on. And when we see this worship service, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of those who are worshiping, tens, thousands upon ten thousands. And, and, and John is doing his best by and describing it. He said, it was like... Because he didn't, even standing there in front of it and hearing, Paul said, I heard things. Paul was also transported to heaven. He says, I heard things that I can't even describe to you. And God calls on us to say, you can only imagine what it's going to be like. And then in chapter 5, where we land today, there are seven scrolls. And these seven scrolls, are at the seventh one, introduces seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet introduces seven vials or seven bowls. And these, these scrolls and trumpets and vials, uh, bowls, they represent what's happening in the future in a time called the, the time of tribulation and the great tribulation. Many of you know the, the four horsemen, the, the red horse, the pale horse, the white, the, all, all of these horsemen and each of them as these scrolls are, are opened. Uh, the first four represent the four horsemen of, of the book of Revelation. Now, if I've gone over your head, stay tuned because it is a glorious ending. Listen to a God that might appear silent in the moment, but the silence is going to be reversed. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John says, writing in first person, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, the Father, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I just want you to notice the details. <laughs> it's written on both sides. He's seeing this. This is not like, hey, this is going to happen. No, he is actually seeing this. Watch the tense. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open these seals, to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven and, or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Now, keep in mind, John had no idea what was inside of it yet. And watch his reaction. I wept and wept because it seemed hopeless in that moment. I'm looking all around the world and heaven and on earth, and there's no one worthy. You see, some people believe that saying that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life is narrow minded. It's not. It's just a reality because he was the only lamb of God that lived a selfless and sinless life on earth that could open the scroll. No one in heaven or earth could open the scroll and look inside it. I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders says, do not weep. Do not lose hope. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus Christ, has, past tense, triumphed, not will triumph. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
And then I saw the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent out onto the, all, all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the Father, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And in that moment, another glorious worship service broke out. Now I'm setting you up for something here. I just want you to imagine just standing there. I mean, let's just say it. There's nobody sitting here in this room today that wouldn't be freaked out. <laughs> I mean, totally freaked out. Like, like, what? <laughs> Unbelievable. As if, how are you expecting me to even write this down? Because it's so unbelievable. And starting in verse 11 in chapter 5, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. What does that sound like? Please, dear God, don't make it country western music. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Look, I don't even know if it's going to be anything in the western world that we know. If you've ever heard Indian raga music, it's beautiful. Or Indonesian javelin music, it's beautiful. Who knows what the style is? And you know, people get fussy about church styles and music. Who cares? <laughs> Nobody's going to raise their hand like, ah, uh, that's not my favorite hymn. <laughs> I divert. <laughs> Digress. Um, Ten thousands, watch this, then encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They all sang all of these thousands and thousands of probably hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions. In a loud voice, they sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature, not some creatures, every creature in heaven and on earth and on the earth and in the sea and all of them. You mean creatures, creatures? Are you talking about creatures? That doesn't say human being. Every single creature in the sea, on the land, in the mountains, in the trees, every single one of them singing to the God on the throne. This is why he says, you must have hope beyond this moment. Otherwise, we're lost. And they are singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power, and forever and ever. And in this world right now, it gives us great hope. Think about what you're going through right now. Doesn't it feel in this moment of God-given imagination of what that's going to be like? Miniaturized. It doesn't take the hardship away. It doesn't take the heaviness away. But it gives us a gift. It's called hope. Hope in a God that sees everything, sees every hour, sees every moment, sees every internally displaced person, that sees every unfairness, that sees every atrocity. The seals are then open. The scrolls are open. The seals are broken. And literally all hell breaks loose on earth. We see these seals. We see the first four, like I said, the four horsemen. The appearance of the Antichrist. There's a great warfare. There's famine. There's plague. The fifth scroll is open. It's the martyrdom of believers. The sixth scroll is open. And there's a devastating earthquake. None known to ever in human history. There are things happening in the what we would call space, astronomical disasters, catastrophes. And God is still God. And God still has a purpose. After this sixth seal, 
As the sixth scroll is open, guess what? There's another worship service. There's worship integrated and threaded all through the book of Revelation. And then something stunning happens. It is a verse that is jaw-dropping. Because I've set you up to imagine, to the best of your human capacity, what in the world these worship services sound like. The seventh scroll is placed in the hand of Jesus Christ in Revelation in chapter 8 and verse 1. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now I just I wish we had the time. I literally do. Let's stand and look at each other in silence for 30 minutes. It'd be awkward if I did it for 30 seconds. We just stood here in silence. But in contrast to the thousands upon thousands upon thousands that are worshiping, Christ takes the seventh scroll and he opens it for 30 minutes. What in the world is happening here? It's an exclamation point. It's a comma. It's a, it's a semicolon. It's, it's an eternal moment that you don't see anywhere else. Because forever and ever, we're going to be worshiping. And in this moment, what we see is a seriousness. And we see an authority and a, and a, and a soberness of about what is about to happen. We see a soberness that, wow, God is in charge. And what's about to happen is that the seven trumpets are introduced and introduced to seven bowls, and it's going to get more intense and more intense and more intense. But at the end, when we see this, we understand, watch, the point of our time in the Word of God is as human beings, the systems of the world, the kingdoms of this world are operating in a way that quite often leave God out, and they are heavy to us who yearn for a better future, for a different future, for a future with God. Whether they're little systems within your own world or they're larger systems like we've seen today. And there's going to come a time that even though God may be silent here, there's, that silence is going to be reversed. What do I mean? In Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah writes, See, my servant will act wisely, speaking of Jesus. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him when he was here on earth, his appearance so disfigured on the cross beyond that of any man in his form marred beyond human likeness, he will sprinkle many nations and the kings will become silent. The presidents, the prime ministers, the queens, the kings, they will become silent. They will shut their mouths because of Christ. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Verses like this are like sobering and give us hope. Now, be careful. When we see these passages, our hearts do not turn to like, oh, I can't wait for them to get what they deserve. Because God is patient for every single human being to turn our hearts toward him. Many of you know that I'm a, a, a musician by trade. My background is in music. I've played in many orchestras, sang in many choirs. And, and when you think about an orchestra, if this were an orchestra and I were the conductor and we were playing Listen, the conductor is the only one that doesn't make sound. Everybody else's instruments are making sound, but the conductor makes no sound. But when the conductor stops, everybody stops. If you're in a professional music rehearsal and the conductor stops and you don't, you'll be called out. <laughs> when I was 19 years old, 
And keep in mind, I had practiced eight hours a day, 364 days a year um, for many years. So I was good at what I did. I was also arrogant because I was good at what I did. I got hired by this somewhat well-known conductor. And it was for this big program. There were hundreds of musicians. There was a choir, big choir. There was a full orchestra. And when you have piano, there's only one piano. Don't know if you noticed. And so I looked at the music and I thumbed through it. And I'm like, I'm not preparing for this. This is below me. <laughs> so I showed up for the dress rehearsal. That's the rehearsal before the performance. This conductor was known to be firm, let's say. And he was conducting and sweating and everybody was playing and I'm over there like, maybe I should have practiced. <laughs> These were all paid professional musicians at a high level. And he stopped the whole orchestra and musicians, choir and the whole nine yards. He stopped it. And when he stopped it, you stopped. You could hear nothing. He turned to the piano. <laughs> Mr. McCoy, he said, have you prepared for this rehearsal? My first instinct was to lie. But I knew that he knew better. I'm over at the piano. I say, no, sir, I have not. He said, that's exactly what I thought. You're fired. I never showed up, literally, to another rehearsal ever, ever in my life. Unprepared. We have a God. Listen carefully. If you're in this room, you're at home. Listen carefully. We have a God that wants you to prepare for what we're reading. In fact, the Bible says that he's patient. But the reality of the Bible is this. That one day, the music will stop. It's not going to stop on your timeline. It's going to stop when the conductor stops. And there will be silence. And he will look you in the eye and say, are you prepared? Now, be careful. You're not prepared because you've been good. You're not prepared because you've been better than the other person, your neighbor. God does not prepare you to, for eternity because you've been religious or even come to a church service. Or even know the Ten Commandments. God prepares you in one way. And that is if you have covered your life with Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed as the Lamb of God to cover your sins so that when God looks at you, he sees you as if you've never sinned. There's no separation between you and him. It almost seems too simple, doesn't it? That's the preparation of God. So when we read these passages... We're not waiting for our enemies to get it. We're praying for our enemies to understand it. I was in Ukraine one time. I came in a meeting and they were praying. They pray a little different than we pray. They pray out loud. They pray with passion, man. Everybody's praying at the same time. And I had I sat beside uh, this man I'd never met before, Vladimir. And I was asking God to show me one man that I could meet. It was the man. It was a room like this, and literally there was one seat in the middle. I went, God, I'm asking you to lead me. Many miracles that happen when you put yourself in a place of hardship. One, and he leaned over to me and said, do you know? And this was four or five years ago. He leaned over to me, put his head right here on my chest, and he said, do you know? You don't know what we're praying for. I'm like, obviously. It's all praying in Ukrainian. He said, we're praying for Russia. This is a heart of a believer. Be careful. Be careful. 
We do not take on a heart of hardness. Whether, again, it's your family, your relationships, your workplace, the world, Russia, Iran, North Korea, wherever you're wherever the, your enemy is in your head, right? It is not the heart and the prayer of a Christian of revenge, but of repentance. Does that make sense? Because in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, this is the reality. Therefore God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every single name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. There will be a time where the conductor stops all the music. And everyone will know at that place. And the silence will be reversed. That God will no longer be silent. And when we look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we end with this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. This is the hope that we have. As Christ followers, we must live the present with the mind of the future. That the conductor has not gone asleep. And even though it may seem silent, he is still moving. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you, God, today for the reality that we all face as human beings in the future. We pray, Father, today that you will tackle our hearts. That you will capture our hearts and our minds. You have given us this God-given imagination that is unique. And in your Bible, in your word, God, you have said for us to set our minds on things above, set our hearts on things above. So today we pray, oh, great conductor, our creator, our loving God, we pray for Ukraine. We pray for the people of Ukraine. And yes, we pray with boldness, God, that you would end this war. We pray for the hearts of the people. We pray for the, the strength of the soldiers. We pray for those who shepherd, those who care. We pray for Morning Star Church. We pray for Pastor Alex, for Anatoly, for Anya, for Bodan, for, for, for the many that we know. We pray, God, for hope and the God of this universe. And until, God, you stop the music, until you turn the chapter, we pray that they will be found faithful, serving you. And the resilience and the strength will be undeniable. We call on you, God, for your strength, for your power, for your Holy Spirit to do a miracle. We pray for the cease of this war. We pray, God, for those who are internally displaced, for those who have lost loved ones. We pray, God, for the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine brighter now than it ever has. We pray, God, for our own world, our own personal worlds, God. Those things that we carry, those things that have seemed hopeless, those relationships that seem heavy, we pray, God, that we will live the present with the mind of the future. Maybe there is someone here today in this room. Maybe they're sitting in their car right now. Maybe they're sitting at home and they've lost hope. Pray, God, today that your word would come alive in them. That they would not lose hope. That the hope would be transferred to you. We pray, Father, today for those that are not prepared yet. This is not about church. It's not about religion. It's not about spirituality. It's about reality. Listen carefully. As we're in prayer, let me ask you, are you prepared for God? I didn't ask you if you, you feel like you're good enough, 
if you've obeyed some of the Ten Commandments, if you've obeyed more than you've disobeyed, if you feel better than your neighbor, if you're sitting in church or listening to a pastor online and that makes you feel better, I'm not asking those questions. I'm asking, have you prepared for God by embracing Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you exchanged your old life for Christ's new one? It is the only way that you'll find God and be prepared. So why not now? Why not give your heart now to Christ? Why not transfer whatever you're trusting in? Because everybody's trusting in something. Whatever you're trusting in, good behavior, spirituality, religion, whatever that is. Why not come to Christ right now and be honest and say, God, my life is imperfect, just like everybody else. I am a sinner. I'm changing the direction of my life, God. And I want to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of all my brokenness, all my sin, all my mistakes, all my guilt. Would that be the prayer of your life? Would that be your inner prayer? I mean, and maybe it's an inner cry. Maybe it's a desperation. I want to be right with God. I want to be okay with God. I want to be a child of God. And if that is your prayer, this is the moment. This is an intersection that you can say, I, God, I trust in Jesus Christ right now. And I'm asking that you ignite new life in me as I exchange, as I turn in my old life. Put your faith in him. Listen, he's waiting. He's waiting. He loves you. He's patient. But at one point, the music will stop and you'll be asked, are you prepared? Don't wait. Give your heart to Christ now. Trust him. Lord Jesus, I trust you completely. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for such a rich time and, and uh, for startling our hearts again with the word of God. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.